friends what's going on tommy here back with another episode of the holy city hoops podcast coming at you on a wednesday we had to give the college football national championship a little little time to breathe but from here on out we are full steam ahead with college basketball from now through april and if the cfc cougars are your team make sure you are following us along the way at holy city hoops on social media definitely subscribe to this podcast on the podcast app of your choice it's a big week for the cougars they're in the middle of a tough stretch of games against probably the other top three to four teams in the league here to talk with me about it this week is a familiar voice for Cougar fans. That's Andrew Miller of the Post and Courier. We got to chat a little bit up at the William and Mary game. Trust me, we're going to talk about that game a lot. And he's got some thoughts on where the Cougars are at right now. We're right at the one-third mark of the conference season. And what he's looking for out of this team going into a big homestand this weekend against Northeastern Thursday night and then Hofstra on Saturday. And a little bonus topic for today... We recorded this episode about 90 seconds after C.B. McGrath got let go at UNCW. So we actually start this podcast talking about that news. So you get some instant reactions from myself and from Andrew. And then we'll talk about the Cougars from then on out. Hope you enjoy the episode. Make sure you read Andrew Miller's work on the Post and Courier. Follow him on Twitter at APMiller underscore PNC. So let's go ahead and get into it. Andrew, what's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. Just uh, getting ready for tonight's national championship game. It should be a good one, and I appreciate you jumping on before uh, that game got started. I guess we have to start with the the news of the day. C.B. McGrath is out at UNCW. Do you have any uh, initial thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, when I saw him play last year, and and I saw kind of the uh, to, to uh, steal your phrase, the kind of the free fall that they were in this year. I figured that something was going to happen sooner rather than waiver. I mean, if you think about the excellence that they had under Kevin Keats, you, you knew that it was going to be tough for the next guy because he had raised the bar so high, there, I thought. And if you didn't win like he did, or at least consistently like he did, I, I felt like that they were probably going to make a change. I thought they'd wait wait until the end of the season, but uh, the fact that they did it now and, and to see how many games that they had lost in a row is not a huge uh, shock for me. Um, they played a very different style uh, under McGregor. They did under Kevin Keats, but, uh, you know, I, and, and it, it's going to take a while in recruiting classes and, and all that to kind of, uh, when you make a transition like that from one system to another that are so vastly different, um, you know, I wish that sometimes you, uh, administrations and athletic directors could be a little more patient, but, you know, they have a pretty strong following up at UNCW. I think what they're second in the league in attendance or maybe second or third during the, yeah, they're always up there. It's usually Charleston and 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 UNCW and and maybe William and Mary. I think uh, I think they were high up in, in in attendance. And you know, Trask Arena is a really tough arena to play in, um, especially over the years when when Keats was there. So you know, they demand a, a certain level, a certain standard, and and he wasn't meeting it. So am I surprised that that they let him go a little bit because it's the middle of the season? But overall, no, I'm not that surprised. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that. This is happening before the Cougars have even matched up with UNCW. But yeah, I mean, things uh, didn't seem to be getting any better from year to year under McGrath. Um, And UNCW seemed like they were in a position to hire someone maybe with some D1 coaching experience coming out of the Keats era, but went a different direction. And um, it looks like they're going to have to reset that again. 
Yeah, and, and that and to me that just puts you another two, three years behind the behind every other program. Yeah. CAA, and that's that's the problem with firing somebody and not you know giving him at least three or four years. I to to me, and and, and you look look at Ed Ogeron, classic example of that. Can you imagine if LSU got rid of that guy after you know when they wanted to get rid of him two years ago? And look where they are now. I, I think you got to give a guy four years to get his guys in there, to get his people in there. And, and that really, that's a lesson that I think a lot of athletic directors uh, and presidents can, should learn from. Yeah, I think that's well said. Well, let's move on to uh, the main team that this podcast covers, and that is the Charleston Cougars. I want to mostly talk about William and Mary today, <clears throat> but I think we should touch on the Elon game a little bit just because that kind of set the table for the, the battle of the unbeatens uh, on Saturday. Um, you were up at Elon too, correct? Yes. So that game, ugly game overall. Um, I think Charleston up until the final minutes when Grant Riller went on his little run, not very good offense from the Cougars. And I think it was kind of indicative of something we saw in William and Mary, which was that shooting percentage that the Cougars had been riding the first four games of conference play seemed to you started to see kind of the chinks in the armor with that cougars did not shoot well against elon but at the end of the day they had grant railer and that was enough and that, that, that's most of the time enough really for them yes in, in, in any caa game it's like people ask me what's the difference between them and other teams in the caa and what i've told you know what i say every single time is they've got grant railer and you don't uh so when you're late in the shot clock, when it's late in the game, when you need somebody to score a basket, he is one of the few guys in this league that can create his own shot. There are a lot of guys who can score in the league, but they, they need help. Grant does not need anybody's help because he can do that all by himself. Um, he can score at all three levels. And again, that's, that, that, that's a phrase now that's become very popular in basketball. That means he can shoot a three. He can take a couple of hard dribbles. He can he can hit that mid range jump shot, and then he can take it to the rim. And 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 Tommy, you know this as well as I do. I've been watching basketball for a very very long time. Uh, I've been at the newspaper for thirty years. He is one of the best finishers around the rim that I've ever seen. That he's oh yeah yep around the rim. His ability to his body into these freakish kind of angles and still throw up a shot and it goes in. Uh, just absolutely amazes me now. And what's funny is, is that the very first game I saw him play, I was, I was invited to one of those um, closed scrimmages where you're not allowed because you they they really don't go on. Um, you're you're not allowed to have any media there. You're not allowed to report on it or anything. And it was it was just yeah. What scrimmage? Right. It was, <laughs> it was his first scrimmage against Clemson. And yeah, the one where he hurt himself, right? Yeah, the one where he blew out his knee, right? And it's about eight, nine minutes left in, in the game, and he's got 20 points already, and he is killing Clemson. I mean, just there's nobody on Clemson's team, a guard, that, that, can, that can get in front of him, that can keep him from when he's, you know, moving downhill like he does, when he's putting and – and I say this to people. He's got a great first step, but you know what he's also got? He's got a great second step, and that sometimes is very underrated. Um, sure, if you got a good first step, you can get by a lot of guys. But if you got a really good long second step or second stride, that that does not give your defender an, enough time to recover and keep up with you. And that's what he does, I think, better than than just about any player I've seen in, in a long, long time. But anyway, 
So he's got 20 points. There's about eight or nine minutes left. He hits, I think he hit a, he hit a baseline dunk, and Brad Barnell calls timeout. And he turns around, and, and I can't say it uh, exactly what he said on, on, on your podcast, but he, uh, he goes, why? He goes, did we recruit him, and who was effing recruiting him? <laughs> One of his assistant coaches turned to him and goes, yeah, we were recruiting him, and it was Earl. And then he just kind of, you know, shrugged and had this little smile on his face. And that, and I, you know, unfortunately, about three or four minutes later, he ended up uh, blowing out his knee and missing that his whole freshman year. But I, then uh, that that first time I saw him, I was like, this this guy is is special. And and the reason he's so special is he's so efficient. He just doesn't. There's not a lot of wasted motion out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, sometimes, but there's just not a ton of wasted motion uh, on his part. And he gets to the rim, and he gets to he gets to those open. Sp- is on the floor and he, he's just he's a unique offensive player um and there's no question about it so yeah up but back to kind of elon they were struggling a little bit uh, elon hit some shots um early especially and then i thought that uh when they needed grant riller to step up and kind of finish off the game that's what he did i mean what he had 12 points i think he said scored their last 12 points of the game yep. hit a couple of just dagger that one three it's 64-60, and he's up a, kind of a, just to the left of the top of the key, and he just knocks down the three. And I was sitting midcourt, which I, I sit usually in the end zones at TD Arena, but I was sitting at midcourt. He turned around, and he looked at me, and he gave me this look like, you know, they're going to give me that shot? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, so then he came, I think, right back down the next position. They hit a longer range, uh, two, a longer two shot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he took over. He just absolutely took over, and that's what you want from a fifth year senior and, and one of the nation's uh, leading scores. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely want to talk about the William and Mary game, about what William and Mary did to almost take Grant Riller out of the game completely, but we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, a, kind of a, a back and forth game. And speaking of head coaches, I, I'm going to shoot my shot. I think Elon has found their guy in Mike Shragi. They looked leaps and bounds better than, than I can remember them looking any of the past couple of years. Uh, the defense was good. They've got some good looking freshmen. And I was worried that this game was going to be a trap game. And Elon, Elon brought it. And they seem to be uh, on the upswing. It's a beautiful facility, um, about 5,000 um, seats. And I, I like TD Arena. I, I like a lot of things that TD Arena has. But if I was going to build a mid-major arena with the kind of amenities uh, that I think a mid-major, an upscale kind of mid-major program deserves, uh, I, I would fashion it after uh, what the SCAR Center is. Uh, what, what they have luxury box-wise on the mezzanine levels, uh, the concourse. You know, one of the problems that I have with TD Arena, and I know I'm kind of off subject here, I, I, I get, but... um is that the concourse is so so narrow at certain points. Um, so if there are a lot of people walking around, it's kind of hard to walk around there. And and at Elon, that wasn't an issue. And then they were able to put in uh, luxury boxes there, which I still, for the life of me, cannot figure out why there were not luxury boxes put into the, to TD Arena when it was originally built. But yeah, so I think that that, that coaching staff is taking advantage of a new facility and new kind of excitement with the program. And, and, and obviously he's a very good coach. So yeah, I thought they played them pretty tough. They got a young, you know, relatively young team, uh, some good looking freshmen. You're, uh, I agree with you on that. And this will be a team to be reckoned with in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we covered CB McGrath. We've 
covered Mike Shragi. There's only uh, one other coach worth noting, and that is a nice segue into the next part of this conversation. UNCW loses to William and Mary. Elon loses to Charleston. That sets up the matchup that we were anticipating. 5-0 and Charleston at 4-0 William and Mary, a battle of the last two remaining undefeated teams. And Charleston looking for their first win at Kaplan Arena. That elusive first win still uh, has not come yet. That place just continues to be a house of horrors for the Cougs. Uh, yeah, it does. And really, I thought the last two years, uh, last year and the year before that, uh, the team that went to the NCAA tournament and then last year's team, both had golden opportunities to win those games. Obviously, Rilla played great in both of those games, and Gerald Brantley played great in last year's game and, and you know, uh, had opportunities to win both those games and didn't do it. So you just wonder, you know, you hope it, it's not like a Clemson-UNC thing where uh, up until this year, I guess, what, they were 50-0 and 59 going into Chapel Hill. So hope hope that isn't the case. But um, Nathan is is as good a big man as uh, as – is just as far as skill and his versatility. Obviously, Devonte Kaycott was was really just a monster on, on the boards and 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 a kind of a garbage guy. I, I don't know that they ran too many plays for for him up at UNCW. And I think Nathan Knight's a little bit more skilled, maybe not as athletic, but uh, certainly can shoot the ball, can handle the ball a little bit. You know, he told me that he was a five foot ten guard uh, when he entered high school in the ninth grade, and he and he didn't he had a big growth spurt between his sophomore and junior year. So he's only six foot three in, in as a sophomore in high school and he hit this growth spurt. So nearly six foot 10. And I think that's why he's so skilled, but uh, I've enjoyed watching him play over the last four years. A lot of star power. Like you just mentioned, Nathan Knight and Grant Riller probably one and two in some order for player of the year. I know you asked coach after this because we talked about the Elon game. Grant Riller really had a strong finish, had another 30 point game. What did Coach Grant say when you asked him about what William and Mary was doing differently to really shut down Riller? Well, what what Coach Grant talked about was how William and Mary kind of stood in the paint and they clogged the paint. And what they were doing is they were funneling him either when he was driving baseline or when he was at the top of the key, they were funneling him into bigger players, you know, i.e. I. Nathan Knight and 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 Van Fleet there uh, because they're 6'10 and 7 feet. So he might get around the initial guy, but then they would kind of collapse on him and and force him to either give the ball up or take a very tough, very con- contested shot, which is what he was doing. And, you know, I th- I thought something was wrong with him. I was sitting next to an NBA scout who kind of noticed that he looked a little pale. And I but and I asked him and I asked Marlene Navarre, the SID at the College of Charleston, if he was if he was feeling okay. And they both said he was, but. I still think that there was something a little off about Grant on Saturday. You know, you can't play and score 25 points every single game. I mean, you're going to have off nights, and maybe he just had an off night. But I just thought he just didn't look – something about him just didn't look right uh, on Saturday. But give William and Mary a ton of credit because there's one thing to have a plan going into the game and then another to execute it. And that just shows me that, that Coach Fisher out there is doing a really good job of – executing his game plan and getting his players to buy into it and understanding what their game plan is and what their ultimate goal is. Now, there were some times when I thought Grant forced a couple of shots, but I also thought there were times when his teammates didn't help him out a ton when he kicked the ball out, when he found open guys and they weren't finishing or they weren't hit, knocking down their threes. And, and that's going to happen to him. I mean, a lot of teams have tried kind of a similar defense on him. They haven't been successful 
because they've left other guys with wide open looks. I thought Jalen McManus played well in that game. Um, I thought Brevin at times played well, even though he struggled a, a little bit. Uh, but the two guys who really jumped out at me and, and what I think kind of should make uh, College of Charleston fans optimistic about the future is I thought Trayvon Reddish, he's really starting to figure things out. And, and then I thought Brandon Tucker came off the bench and, and played extremely well and showed the kind of athleticism and scoring ability that I think the coaches were expecting when they signed him him last year. I mean, the dunk that he made uh, that got called off because of a charging call uh, was just simply ridiculous. Uh, his athletic ability on that play was just was uh, just phenomenal. Um, so I think there there are some positives to take out of this game. I'll be very very interested to see how. Grant responds, uh, and and the coaching staff, what they change up uh, when William Mary comes into TD Arena in February. Yeah, I was hoping the Brandon Tucker dunk was going to get at least an honorable mention on the uh, CAA highlight video this this week, but not meant to be. I guess because yeah, it, it didn't it didn't technically happen, but yeah, yeah it, I mean, it didn't count. I think I think that was the problem, but certainly athletic wise, that was. I was like, holy, holy smokes, look at his head. It's almost it's almost above the rim when he dunked it. So yeah. I had a great angle for that. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just like he just sprung off the it's like he literally jumped off a trampoline and then just grabs the ball with one hand and just just a ferocious tomahawk slam. And it because I was wondering, I was like, what's he I think Trayvon Reddish was the one who who lobbed it to him, if I'm not mistaken. And yep. And it was just, uh, I was like, what's he doing? Like, oh, <laughs> and then it gets called for, I thought, a very questionable um, uh, charging call in that play, or, or at least yeah. the count of the basket, I thought. But anyway. Well, I think you touched on something interesting, which was why this William & Mary team is such a matchup issue, not just for Charleston, but for the CAA in general, a team that, or a league that has now lost Kaycock, Brantley to the NBA, not a lot of big men left over. And when you have a team that goes 6'10 and 7' foot in the front court, that's going to be tough for these guard-oriented teams. And um, I think you mentioned in your recap, Charleston feeling a little bit like the offense let them down in this game. Their defense, especially early on, was pretty good. And then we get to the five-minute mark of the first half. Reddish hits that three, his first of the season. He hits that three, I think, to go up 23-21. And then William and Mary just runs off this 16 to four run over the last four minutes and change. That to me was really the difference. They hit, I think four threes in that stretch. Nathan Knight had a dunk. Charleston came up empty and the rest of the game was pretty even. Um, but that run was something that Charleston could just never recover from. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. They, um, there was some bad possessions. I thought some poor shot selection uh, by a couple of guys and some, some instances where I thought they took contested shots early in the shot clock that if they had been a little bit more patient, worked the ball around a little bit more. Uh, maybe they could have gotten better shots. Not, not sure they would have made it, but at least they would have been set defensively. And I thought William Mary got a couple of transition threes. Um, and then some guys who you might not expect to hit threes for them, hit a couple, hit, hit a couple threes in those sequences and it was just kind of like this avalanche of points. And um, but then you're right. I think from up till that moment until e even, you know, start of the second half, you know, maybe William Mary had a little advantage just, just at the start of the second half. But really, again, they I thought the college played them pretty even. I, the one thing that I was um, impressed with was uh, I think they were only minus three on, on rebounding in that game. 
And I thought they did a really good job uh, on the boards and keeping William and Mary, not that they're a great offensive rebounding team, but we're able to keep them off the boards um, pretty consistently. And then we're able to get some offensive rebounds uh, more. They were more active on the offensive glass. And I think I've seen them all season long. So I thought Sam Miller and, and I think Osunachi Smart's really starting to find his, his, his stride and his rhythm. Um, he's becoming more of a force, not only uh, uh, defensively, but offensively as well. Um, he's able to finish plays now that he wasn't able to finish last year and even earlier in this season. So I think that's a, that's a positive from this, but boy, you'd like Samba to be healthy here and not be on the bench, uh, you know, having going through a red shirt season because of a knee injury um, because you could use one more kind of big guy down there, a, a guy who's dedicated to being a rebounder and a, and a defender when you face a team like William and Mary. I agree with you. I, th- I think Jalen McManus had a nice game, but it's probably not a, it's probably not a good sign for Charleston if he's your leading scorer at the end of the night. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. If he, but if he's your second leading scorer, or even your third, you know, or he's third, then I think you're 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 having a good night. Um, and and and, and again, I earlier in Jalen's career, he was just kind of a you know a spot up three shooter, and that's pretty much all he did. And, and I think he's developed other part of his games. Um, I, you know, I I, I might have mentioned this earlier, but. You know, there are some shots that he took um, that some people are questioning. I, I don't have a whole lot of problem with some of the sh- with most of the shots, 90, 90, 95% of the shots that Jalen McManus um, uh, has taken this year. I, I think he's taken good shots pretty much the entire season. They just haven't all fallen for him. And it just, it just shows you how great of a player Jarrell Brantley was and the kind of touch he had around the rim and the tenacity that he had uh, around the rim as well. That, that That's what separates uh, a Jalen McManus from a guy like uh, Jarrell Brantley. Yeah. And Jalen, it seemed like Jalen was mostly matched up with Van Vliet a lot, and he did an okay job of, yeah. of shutting down a guy who has a lot of size over him. Yeah. So he, both those guys are kind of stretch fours. Um, yeah. In, in, in their scheme. So I thought that was a good, a good matchup for, for both of them to have. You, you wondered why maybe they didn't double team Nathan Knight a little bit more, you know, at least run a guy at him. But, um, you know, I think what they were trying to do is they were trying to take away the three point shooters and, and kind of, you know, just say, Hey, Nathan Knight's going to get what he's going to get. And we, if we shut everybody else down, then we should be okay. I think yeah, that was kind of the strategy. That's, it's something that coach Grant always seems to have done. Even when, when Knight was surrounded by all those shooters in the shaver area, in the shaver era, he would always just uh, put Nick Harris on Nathan Knight one-on-one and just not give up those threes. Um, so. Right. And there's something to be said for that strategy because if you can shut down the other four guys on the floor, you know, your, your, your success, I think will be, I think you'll have a, a lot of success. So I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I think there's an optimistic glass half full perspective with this and a, a pessimistic glass half empty perspective. I mean, Charleston's shooting really cratered back down to earth. Um, Brevin Galloway, one for seven from deep. Zepp Jasper held without a point. Um, the percentages were not very great. Or uh, the other perspective is that William & Mary uh, is capable of hitting their shots. Um, which which side of this do you kind of stand on? Do you think, where do you think the regression to the to the mean is? I, I just I think I'm hoping what I'm hoping is that this is just an aberration that this is just a one time deal. But I mean, just look at everybody who shot um, three pointers. I mean, really, Brennan Tucker and, and and Trayvon Reddish were the only guys who they were both one of one. 
who really shot the ball, who shot the ball well. Um, and then Grant Riller really, I mean, he, he only took two threes, but for him to take 12 shots and only make three, that's just, I mean, I can't remember the last time that he took 12, a double digit uh, number of shots, you know, and only made three. Well, the Cougars aren't going to have a chance to lick their wounds for very long. Thursday night, Northeastern comes in and then Hofstra on Saturday. So now you're talking about the defending CAA champions, a team that knocked out the Cougars in the postseason last time, and then Hofstra, who was the preseason favorite to win the league. So tough stretch for the Cougars. Uh, What are you kind of looking for uh, in this weekend's games? Well, obviously, I think they need to bounce back and and shoot the ball a little bit better than than they did against uh, William & Mary. They can't let that loss, you know, beat them twice. Hopefully, um, and they're going to be a, there's going to be a media availability tomorrow. I'll find out if uh, uh, Grant Riller what what his status was in in, in that game because again, I still think that there was something health wise wrong with him. Just m- maybe the flu or a, or a, a head cold or something like that. But um, I, I think you know again, you don't want that game to beat you twice. Obviously, um, these are two of the better teams. These are uh, that are going to be uh, in, in the CAA this year. Obviously, Hofstra picked to win the preseason. Northeast, Northeastern won it last year. Um, both of them, although they've had some turnover on their rosters, are are still among those elite teams in the CAA. You know, it, just from just looking at kind of all the teams and assuming that UNCW doesn't, uh, you know, have some kind of miraculous comeback in the second half of the season, you know, I think the four best teams are going to be Hofstra, Northeastern, William & Mary, and College Charleston. So, it's going to, and, and I don't know that there's a whole lot that separates those four teams. So it's going to be the team that obviously plays better on, on whatever particular night I think is going to end up winning. Um, I like what they, what uh, the Cougars did uh, up at William Mary again with their, with their post guys and, and in the paint. I thought they held their own uh, against uh, two guys who were, you know, a, a little bit bigger than they were and, and, and maybe uh, should have had the advantage up there. I thought they held their own. Um so I, I'd like to see that continue. And then and just guys got to shoot better. Brevin Galloway's got to shoot better. Zip Jasper's got to be a factor. Jalen McManus has got to you know play like he did uh, against William Mary because I thought he was probably the best player on the floor. Nice to see um, Jalen Richard uh, hit a couple of mid-range jumpers. I think that's maybe yeah. got confidence going because he's been pretty much non-existent uh, this this entire season. So uh, I, I think uh, you, you need some help from the guys coming off the bench to continue to do what they've been doing. But uh, uh, I like their chances, obviously, in both games. I think at the very minimum, they got to get a split if they're going to be a serious contender for a regular season championship. I think so, too. You know, it's funny. Coach Grant had a quote earlier in the season that when you look at the top teams in the CAA, it almost always correlates with who has the best players. And that's the case here as well. Jordan Rowland is also tops in the NCAA in scoring right up there with Knight and with Riller. Desher Bowie and Eli Pemberton are, are kind of all league players at Hofstra. So it's just, um, it's another challenge. And um, I, I do think Charleston needs to win those games and create some separation. Um, but now you go from defending two big guys to individual scores, guards, and, um, you know, we'll see if, if Charleston matches up a little bit better and if they can regain that shooting stroke that was so helpful uh, the first couple games in conference play. Yeah, again, I think you need the uh, you, you need Grant Rillo to be the best player on the floor. I mean, obviously that, that that's pretty obvious right there. But then again, you need those other guys also to step up and play like they were 
uh, playing uh, in those first uh, five games uh, in the CAA competition. So I think if they get that those kind of contributions from those kind of secondary and third scores, I think they're going to be fine. I think they got a shot to win, a really good shot to win both games. Blackout game Thursday night should be a fun one. Should be. And, and, and what a matchup between two of the elite guards in the CAA and maybe in all of mid, uh, mid-major college basketball. Definitely. Well, it's going to be a good one. Andrew, thanks for, for coming on the podcast again. Great to have you back on. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Tommy. I always uh, look forward to it. Uh, happy, to have it. happy to come on anytime you want me.